Jesus, as we bow our hearts in praise and worship to you today, Lord, we sing these songs, and we're not singing them just as something of literature or the English language, Lord, to string things together. Lord, each one of us here today can say that we've seen a God move like that, and you're that God, Lord. In our day, the revelation has come that the seven redemptive names of Jehovah are all wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you are God and you are God alone. Each person here standing this morning is a very variety of a different needs and issues and things we're struggling with, Lord. And to one person of a human nature that would be very easily overwhelmed to bring our petitions and our needs to lay at your feet. But God, you're not human. You're not bound by time. You're not getting tired. You're, the Bible says your arm don't grow weak. It's not shortened, Lord God. You're not a God afar off. You're God right here. Lord, we testify this morning that you're in this room with us, Lord. Our senses declare it, Lord. Our heart declares it. Lord, I pray that as you move up and down the aisles of this church this morning, that you would touch each need. 
each person, each heart, that you might draw each one of us closer to you. We fight a battle that's very hot, Lord. Satan comes at us from all sides. We're not exempt even sitting in here right now. We would try to distract us, try to get us sleepy, try anything he can to take us away from what you're about to do, Lord. But don't let him take control. Let him have no place here today. We take every unclean spirit in our control and put them under our feet. You'll have no success in this room. Lord Jesus, we ask that you'll move today. That, Lord, as you've taken these opportunities and we worshiped you, Lord, and you've cultivated the ground with your spirit of worship, Lord, now your seed is to come forth. Your word is a seed. But yet in each one of these human hearts here today lies a seed gene of you that's been quickened, as Ephesians says, been made alive in you, Lord. Now as you take your word and implant more in us, we become the word as your word comes through us, Lord. Make us more like thee. We adore you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. You are more than enough. You're more than enough. You're not just enough. You're more than enough, Lord. Oh, we adore you, Lord God. Bless us each one today. Make us more like you, we pray, Father. In your wonderful and holy and mighty name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 God bless you this morning. God bless you this morning. Do you love the Lord? Then you're really going to enjoy what's about to happen. His word is so rich and so pure. He is so kind. He's so merciful. He is a God that meets all of our needs. He promised there in the book of Philippians, I'll supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. While you're standing, if you'll turn to Mark chapter 16 with me. <clears throat> Happy Mother's Day to each one of you, dear sisters, that are still standing for the Lord in this evil and wicked day where motherhood and husbandry or husbandhood has been tore apart and so attacked where that it's just to say that it's pure insanity doesn't seem to really convey the, the depth of depravity that has happened in this day. But I want to say God bless you to each one of you mothers, and I pray that God bless you richly. And this is a day that's been set up as a national day of observance, but, but we want to tell you how much we appreciate you. Amen. Now, I don't, I don't like to go for a lot of holidays. I, I know that the prophet said this about Christmas and other days, and he said that I believe that every day you should worship the Lord. And as a Christian, as a believer, I believe as every day you should give mothers honor. You should give your fathers honor. You should give those around you honor and, and show them that you are a Christian by living for others. That's what we're taught to do as a Christian, to love the Lord and let that light shine through you. The, the prophet had told you that if you, as a young child, as a teenager, a young person, that if you want to show the world that you're a Christian, listen to your mom and dad. Be obedient. Keep your room clean. Make your bed. Get up and do what's right. Don't lay around, but live for the Lord. <coughs> Amen? Amen? Is that too hard? Is that too much? <clears throat> if you'll read, we're going to read quite a bit here in Mark chapter 16. Our title this morning is A Godly Woman, A Heavenly Wife. A Godly Woman, A Heavenly Wife. 
And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they come unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stones from the door of the sepulcher? You see the need as they approach their situation. Who's going to roll that stone away when we get there? We're going to, to anoint our Lord for his death and his burial and his resurrection. Who's going to roll that stone away? And when they looked, they made their petition. They made the request. They said it out loud. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. Entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. He saith unto them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. It's a pretty good testimony. For an angel looked at you and said, You seek Jesus. I want every angel in heaven to look at me and say, You seek Jesus. The Bible says, Seek you first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. <laughs> he said, You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. I love that being in past tense. He was crucified. But he is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. They went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. You may be seated this morning. <coughs> The prophet would tell you that God's always got a witness. He's always going to have a witness. He's always going to have someone that will stand up and, and give glory to God and worship him and praise him and be, in, and, and be a memorial for all the world to see of what God's purpose is. Anybody agree with that statement this morning? Uh, even Jesus had made that statement as he comes into Jerusalem and all the people are worshiping and crying out and, and throwing these, uh, these palms out on the ground and, and the, the, the priests come to him. It made them pretty irritated that they were screaming and shouting almost like a Pentecostal, screaming and shouting at them and saying, why do you do this? We need you to go to these people and stop them from doing that. And Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees, he said, if they hold their peace, the rocks are going to cry out in their place. So that tells you at the very least a rock will do its job. It will worship the Lord and give honor to its creator. It'll give honor to its creator. Now, it, as we, we, we look at this in this morning, a godly woman and a heavenly wife, and, and, and we want to kind of gear it toward uh, to give honor to a mother and what God has set up. And, and, and understand that the prophet would tell you that in Christ the mystery, God revealed that God loved fatherhood because he was a father. But the way that God deals with us is through that family. That's the way God has set it up for a, a godly husband, a godly wife, and, and they'll in turn raise godly children to live for the Lord, to go out in the world and be a light unto Him, to, to, to be an example, to be a witness, to be a world to God, and to shine the light of Christ everywhere they go. The Bible says that, that those arrows, that those children are in, like the arrows in the quiver of a strong man. That what he'll do is he'll take that arrow and he'll shoot it out in the world, and in many ways it can be tied in with the arrow of God's deliverance. The arrow of God's deliverance. And this is where a lot of people don't like you getting this close to them, that, that you realize that you're meant to be a, a deliverer. That you are. 
This is where it's real easy to say, he's not looking at me, he's pointing to the person beside me. It gets real, real, real that God's called you to be that. God's called you to be a redeemer. It's what the prophet taught. It's what the Bible teaches. He called you to stand in the gap for your brothers and sisters, to be an intercessor between them and God. Not as a Catholic, not in that idea there, but that I will go to him for you. I will talk to the Lord Jesus for you. I will lay my hands on and pray for you to him that God will move on your behalf. Not to give any glory, not to give any honor whatsoever that might be, but that he might get praise. That's what it's meant to be. So if you started out as just the two, and we've quoted this quite a bit lately, how the Bible says that one will chase a, t- a thousand in the Old Testament, two will put 10,000 to flight. So let's take that under that blood of bulls and goats of what two putting down 10,000. Just on the blood of bulls and goats. Think about that. Two as a married couple will now go out and chase down 10,000 of just two. So now you've got the, the family of God being built, a husband and a wife, and her being in her right place, him being in his right place, too. And so many times that, 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 that bravado and that ego wants to rise up and say that like a bull in the china shop, she'll do what I tell her. It's never meant to be that way. It's meant to be as in love. Her pulled up close to your side. Yes, he's the head. Yes, he answers to God for her. He answers to God for her. She doesn't answer for herself. He answers to God for her and for his family. God looks to him, to the family. That's the way that works. God sets that up. So in those, in perfect union and a perfect harmony and walking in this world, that God will then start to be, because God's a creator. I'm just going to run through these things just for keep it in your mind so you remember. Our God is a creator, and he created the human body to where that it could procreate and be able to bring forth seed after its kind, the kind of that flesh. Basic biology right here. That, that God, you have the male, you have the female. They're made to come together and bring forth seed after its kind. If we had time to jump into Genesis, God commanded the herb to bring forth after its kind. He commanded the fowl, the bear, the lion, all these different animals. Bring forth seed after your kind. Bring forth seed. And the same thing with the male and female. They were created where they could do that. So if they are the right kind... If they are the right kind, you have a godly husband, a godly wife, you put together, and now they're going to produce godly children, or at least the template to get them the right path. Uh, Just think always about what what, Solomon would be the second wisest man that ever lived, and Solomon would would, would say that that a man is born, or Job would say that a man that's born of a woman is is full of many troubles and all these different things, but with, with Solomon, what he would tell you, that a child that's raised the right way, that you train them up the way of the Lord, that you would teach them the way to follow God, because each one of us were born in this world, speaking lies, shaped in iniquity, we come born sinners because of our birth. Because of her birth. I wish I had time to jump into Genesis and we'll cover serpent seed real fast. But because of that nature of that blood cell and of that seed that was integrated into human flesh to where that now you, you do have godly seed, but you also have out your ungodly seed. They'd be called the sons of perdition or those that were natural brute beasts that were made to be taken and destroyed. That was that part that Satan, who so longed to be a creator, yet Satan has no power to create. So what he did was he was able to influence and shroud and saturate himself into that serpent who was so close to being the missing link. He is the missing link between chimpanzee and man that he was able to have that affair, that sexual fornication with Eve before Adam come to her. He was, she was given as wife to Adam, but he went in and he stole her and he took her and perverted that path of life that God had set up. 
Basic Bible. So as each one of those comes to that Eve in her decision to make that perversion, to fall in that act, in that utter, that utter uh, the full complete stringency of unbelief that what she did, she accepted death over life. She accepted death over life. So here's where we start. 6,000 years ago, a man and a woman. A man and a woman. We understand that Eve fell. Eve made a mistake. What God has created in our day is a bride that will not fall. Amen. Let me change how I just said that. He has created in this day a bride that cannot fall. Amen. Not in her own strength. Not in her own capability, but because he loves her and he holds her by his mighty strong hand as a good husband will. As a good husband will. He gives honor to his wife. He holds her up. He prays for her. He loves her. He lives for her. He gave his life for you. And you say praise the Lord to that. So as that is put into order, a godly man and a godly wife, and, and to each one of our, our young single uh, brothers and sisters that are here, as you give your heart to God, you cannot, if you were to get married without the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you will ruin your husband or your wife. You will be a ruination to them. You will make their lives just miserable. Make their lives miserable. We're taught by our prophet that the most wonderful thing you can do for your child is get them to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Get them to that new birth. And then, as a believer that's seasoned in this fight, in this walk, that you need to now teach them how to surrender their life day by day by day by day by day. So many people want to say, well, they've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Okay, you're good now. Not any way God set it up. God's always got older uh, brothers or sisters, not, maybe not necessarily by age, but more experience in that walk. Then now, let's come aside and tell you how to fight. Let me tell you how to gird yourself, to gird up your loins, to make yourself strong to where you won't walk out, put your foot right in a bear trap and have that leg ripped off. To teach you to look out for the snare of the devil, the snare of the fowler. When the arrows come by night, he'll show you how to go into that refuge and be safe. Not everyone is given a godly father and a godly mother. But God always makes a way. God has always got a way uh, of providing a protection. And what God does in that, he'll have others that will come along. You're thinking about when, when you do anything for the Lord Jesus... Jesus had made that statement that if you'll leave fathers, mothers, houses, and lands for my sake, he said, I will give you fathers, mothers, houses, and lands. You'll never give anything for God that he won't give it up for God that he won't give it back. Amen. I don't have time to jump in the book of Job right now, but I can prove it to you. I can prove it to you by the Bible. So when you surrender your life to God, you're walking in OA. Maybe you didn't have a godly father. Maybe you didn't have a godly mother. But God will send someone along with you to walk beside you to show you how to love the Lord. The Bible gives those in the New, in the New Testament about how a, an elder sister should come alongside a younger sister and teach them how to love their husbands. Strange way to put that statement, to teach them how to love their husbands. You know, love, again, back to the, the young people getting married. Uh, you have two couples getting married, a, a boy or a girl or a man or a woman, depends on what age they are, that they think, oh, I'm in love with them. It's just the best thing ever. And then nothing's ever going to happen. Everything's ever going to be a problem because now we're just in love and it's all just beautiful, sunny, rosy days and things like that. And then the first year of marriage happens. The bills come, the kids come, the troubles come. And, and then you have your arguments, you have your disagreements. You have to learn to live together. Had to live with each other. Had to learn to put up with each other. Had to learn how to walk together. Uh, Amos uses that statement in Amos 3.3. 3. 
3, 5. That how can two walk together lest they be agreed? You've got to be able to walk together in love and unity as a husband and a wife. And it's not just necessarily uh, with the message, but, but in the basics, the, just the very basics of being, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that he is God. And when you have that love wraps in together, that God will lead you to the right understanding, the right revelation, because it's in his hands, not yours. He's the one that gives wisdom, revelation, and knowledge and the understanding of him, and he will lead you and guide you. What you do as a believer is say, Lord, I, you've showed me something, and I know that that's the one you created for me before the foundation of the world. Because remember, in the beginning, he created them male and female. In the beginning, he created them male and female, and now you've been put together. Maybe God in his mercy extended something to you earlier than he did your mate. Maybe God, I'll say it again, maybe God in his mercy extended his revelation to you before he did your mate. But again, in the beginning, he created them male and female. And God's not saying, well, this male will be a believer, that female won't, and we're going to make this, oh, it's going to be miserable. Uh, the Bible don't teach that. The Bible says that through an unbelieving husband can be saved by a believing wife and vice versa. And what that's done is that unbelieving husband who's never come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all it is. He's never come, he's never met him. Never met him. But once you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, everything changes. There's no more wondering, is he real? Is he everywhere? Does he fill all time and space? Does he know my thoughts? Once you once come into that presence, your life has changed. And you look at yourself and the mercy God has given to you to where that you have been in that presence and you know you've been changed. You know you're not the one you was before. That your heart is different now. That you should turn, extend the same grace, not just to your spouse, but to everyone that you meet. Because you realize this revelation, this understanding you have in your heart is nothing given to you of your own will, of your own strength, of your own goodness, of your own quality. It's his free gift to you. Free gift. It's so easy to get all headed up in our mind and think, well, I got a better revelation. I got a better understanding. I live a little more than them, so we probably should just look down on them. That's not the spirit of Christ. Ever. Whether you're dealing with someone else or your own husband and wife. Back to the positive. So, in what God was set up to be a godly husband and a godly wife, both of them surrendered to each other, walking in perfect harmony in the way of the Lord. It's a narrow way. It's a hard way. You think about the prophecy given up the random there with Danny Henry. Because thou hast chosen the harder way, the narrow way. He said, it's my way. Amen. Now, as a husband and a wife, you'll walk that road together. You can expect persecution to come. You can expect offenses to come. You can expect heartbreak to come. Because unless you'll suffer with him, you're not fit to reign with him. Amen. This is scripture. So as you walk in this road together, you're understanding as you start out that persecution is going to come, check. Offenses are going to come, check. Heartbreak's going to come, check. Arguments, all these things, living in the flesh is going to come. And when that finally happens, okay, here's my test. Here's my trial. I love you. Forgive me if I said something wrong, if I said it in the wrong tone, if I didn't, if I said it with a bad spirit on me, whatever it might be, please forgive me. You, you apologize to each other. You clean it all off. You get back up and you keep walking together. Now you're ready for the road. Now you're ready. You're going to have success in your walk with the Lord. But if you think that when you first have a trouble and it knocks you down, and, well, I must have missed it. No, you're in the battle of the Lord. Amen. You're in the battle of the Lord. You got all hell against you. All hell is against you. So <clears throat> as, you're, as you're set up to be a son or a daughter of God, 
And God puts you together. You notice that it's not ever meant to be a gap, but that they're meant to be entwined. Do you notice how your hands work? That your hands are made, the left hand and the right hand are made to fit together. Isn't it interesting how for those that are left-handed or right-handed predominantly, which thumb is on top? And you don't even think about it. It just falls right together. You'll go, if you're right-handed, your right thumb will be on top. If you're left-handed, your left thumb will be on top. It just all so instinctively falls right together. You're meant to be knit together with bonds of love. That's the way God sets up a husband and wife, to be knit together. That way that your heart becomes her heart, and her heart becomes your heart. The prophet would say this about him and Sister Meaty. He said, I love her so much, I wish I could take her and pull her into myself. Pull her into myself. And, and you think about that kind of a relationship between the husband and the wife. It's meant to mirror or typify your walk with the Lord Jesus. To get to where I cannot tell. I've been looking. Everywhere I look, I've examined myself. I cannot tell where I stop and he begins. Amen. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Beautiful thing. So in that, that as God starts with the two, you have a godly husband, you have a godly wife. They come together through the natural order of that human body that they now bring forth seed. They have a child. So now that love has multiplied. That love has been replenished in a way. You understand that it's been replenished in a way. So many times that if you were to look at just the negative of this world to what it makes children to be, to what it makes families to be, to what it makes a home to be. If you were to just take the negative and look at everything that's negative in the world, that, that they'll tell you that you don't need a daddy in a home, or you don't need a mom in a home, or you don't need a home, or you don't need prayer, or you don't need all these things. The child can be raised on the street whatsoever. The child comes to this world in some orphanage or in a home that doesn't love them, and you see all those negative aspects, and then you look what negativity reproduces. Right. Hate, fear, all those things reproduce. But on the other hand, if you could look and see what love can reproduce. They were told to go in the world and replenish the earth, repopulate the earth, have seed come together and rebuild this earth. It's not meant to be through unbelief. It's meant to be through faith and love. Love will always bring you through faith. Because love, there's only one thing that is love. There's only one thing. There's only one entity. There's only one person that is love. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of all there is. And so when you love him, that love that he has for you because you trust him. You just, you just simply trust him. That's what the word does in your heart. It takes all doubt, fear, and unbelief away, and you simply trust him. You know, he says right here, he says right there that I'll lay my hands on the sick and they'll recover he says right here that he sent his word and healed all my diseases. He says right here that he's still the lifter of my head. He says right here he created him in the beginning, male and female. Amen. Yes. His word, because you trust him. And you trust him because you love him. Amen. And that's how you get far with God is you just love him. Yes. Live your life for him. Now that love is corrective. That love is redemptive. That love will change you. You got your contrast in the world today that said, you just come to Jesus. There's churches out in the land that you just come as you are. And, I, and I'm all okay with coming as you are. I have no problem with a, a sister coming in here out of the world or a brother looking whatever it is. I have no problem with that. But what I would have a problem with is if you didn't change over time. Because the word of God will change you. You can't stay looking like the world and be in Christ. 
You just can't do it. You, it's got to change you. Something's got to change. If we had a man that come in here, he'd been coming here years and years and years and still has a problem with smoking or drinking or any of those things, and you're like, something's got to change. You've got to change. You can't get into heaven that way. Something's got to change. The church world, as of the, out there right now, would tell you, no, you just come on in here. You bring your, your hot cocoa in here. You bring your coffee, and, and you just kick back and do whatever you want. It's, a, it's just a social gathering beforehand. You understand that's what it becomes to It's not a house of the Lord. It's a morgue. It's a morgue. There's no life there. See, we've not come here this morning to see each other. Not one of you here this morning to see each other. I love you. You know I love you. I pray for you. But you didn't come here to see me. You come here expecting to see him. He's who you're in love with. He's who changes your body. He's who you surrender your whole life to. That's why you're here. That's why this room is different than other churches that you go into before service starts or even during service. They're carrying conversations on across the church. They've got chewing gum. They're just drinking all these different things. It's not reverence. It's not reverence. They would, if, if they'd be honest with you, they would tell you, I don't think I'm in the presence of God. But you take each one of you. If you were to walk right up to the throne room of God, right just like Isaiah 6, you walk right up to the throne room of God. Isaiah said, I'm looking at these cherubims. These cherubims have six wings. Two cover their face, two cover their body, and they're flying around all day long. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Isaiah kicked back. He popped up his Coca-Cola, chewing his gum, popped his feet up on the altar. No, sir. He fell on his face. He said, that's God. I'll give my God glory. I'll worship my Lord. That's why I live and breathe is to be in that presence. That's what we consecrate this room to be. That's why we dedicate this room to be. That's why we get here early and we spend time in prayer, Lord. We've got brothers and sisters that can't spend time in prayer. That way we get here early, help with them to try to create an atmosphere, an environment for each one of them because you're called to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Everybody doesn't understand that, but they will. You're meant to be an example. You're meant to be an example. Peter says that, I think it's, um, I can't remember if it's 1 Peter 1 or 2 Peter 2. That he's called, he said, you're not called to be lords over God's heritages, heritage, but you're meant to be an example to the flock. So even back to the husband and wife, now a child comes forth. That child is to be trained how to live for the Lord Jesus, how to walk with the Lord Jesus, how to surrender to the Lord Jesus. It should be your heart's cry as a mother and father to do everything you can to get that child in the presence of the Lord. To keep that child in the presence of the Lord. To teach that child how to get addicted to the presence of the Lord. How to get addicted to prayer. How to get addicted to reading your Bible. How to get addicted and lost. Not in the things of the world, but in the things of God. You know, it's such an interesting, again, back to the negative side. People will go to a ball game for hours on hours, sit in the rain, in the snow, the ice, and sit there and scream themselves hoarse for hours for nothing. Nothing. Innocent is death. Innocent is death. But you get in the house of the Lord. I prayed five seconds. I prayed five minutes. How many times it's been, you've been, how many times you've been accused of lately? Praying all night long. I, I, I've not been accused of that. I, to my shame, I've never been accused of praying all night long. I prayed a, a lot, but I've never prayed all night long. 
You look what the world wants you to do. It wants you to get the things of the world. You're sleepy. Go to sleep. You're tired. All these other things. But anything that's not of God, you can do it for hours. If you were to watch a movie, there are minimum hour and a half to three hours in that gap right there. And maybe catch your attention and hold yourself in excitement. And you're lost in that. Oh, man, wasn't that great? You never get sleepy one time. But pick your Bible up. Five minutes. Ten minutes. devil tries to start putting you to sleep. Try to pray for 20 minutes. The devil will put you to sleep. You see where he wants your heart set. You see where he wants your treasure at. You see where he wants your priority to be into the things of the world. We're told not to look at the things of the world, but as a matter of fact, forsake the things of the world. Utterly run from. That's not, let's just tiptoe away. No, you run from them. Run from them. Again, if I had time to jump into Proverbs and tell you what that ditch looks like, what that pit looks like, that, what that hole, because in its end is death. It takes you there. It has one road. It's there. It's death. But the thing that is life, what God has set up, is so beautiful and it's so precious and it's so holy and it's so undervalued and it's so menialized and it's so talked about with disdain in their voices. Oh, you're married. I'm so sorry. You have children, that's terrible. Now your body don't look the same. You're probably just an old mother Hubbard now. And, and as far as a husband, oh, I guess you can't run around no more. They look at it like it's nothing. It's what the Creator set up. Amen. It's what the Creator set up. You know, I've never heard anyone come out with this argument. I hate how bright that sun is. Anything we can do about that? No, each person enjoys the sun every day. They enjoy the moon at night. They enjoy the beauty of the stars. The beauty of the stars at night when you can see them or through a telescope, whatever it might be. But they'll turn their approaches back to earth. They'll look at a husband and wife or children and go, mm. Because the prince of this world has blinded their eyes and their hearts, has seared away their conscience, and has put them to where they can only feed on dead things. Their love is only for dead things. Their heart's desire and crave is only for dead things. But it's not what God set up. So in the positive things that God set up, for a husband and a wife to take a child or children and teach them how to love the Lord, teach them how to walk in the Lord, teach them how to surrender the Lord, teach them how to read their Bible and pray, teach them how to listen to the sermons and get closer to God and walk through those things because you're meant as the father of a home. You're meant to be the pastor of that home. You're the pastor of your home. God looks at you as the pastor of your home. Amen. That's the way God looks at it. And you're liable. Dads, you're liable. Husbands, you're liable. It's our job. And I've, and I've failed. I have failed so badly in this area. So badly in this area. But God forgives me. I will do better. You have my word. I will do better. And as, as you're taught to, to teach your children how to spend time reading, how to spend time prayer, most people have never taught, never even prayed with their children. You know, it's, 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 it's always been a common thing in our house to pray for each meal. To bow and we hold hands and we pray in each meal. A lot of folks don't do that. I, I knew people I went to school with for years and never even never knew was taught how to pray, never how to even give thanks. I, I do love something I've always enjoyed that was told about Stonewall Jackson. He was a he was a, a, a captain back in the army back in Confederate days and or a general in the Confederate days. And and what he would do, he would go in the fear of such death and everybody else dying around him. They said he'd never flinch. That he would stand there and never one time like he had zero fear whatsoever. He looked like. 
to the outward eye. He had zero fear with bullets and cannonballs flying by him nonstop. They asked him one day, how can you do that? How can you stand there like a stone wall? His statement, his reply was, I won't take a sip of water without thanking the Lord Jesus for it. A sip of water. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I'm breathing today. Lord, all the things working today. I thank you, Lord. Teaching your children how to do that. So if you take two that are chasing 10,000 in just that relationship, now you've tripled it with a child. Now you add another child. And another child, as God gives you glory, as God gives you mercy. And now you've got a small army. And now this army, if it's built right, is undefeatable. Undefeatable. If you've changed, if you have done your part, if you've done your job, and you've got, got those children chained the same way, you turn back around that world and you'll defeat every giant that comes your way. Where's he at? Where's the giant at? Where's he at? Go get him. You, go get him. No fear. I've been taught how. I know how. Not like the men of Israel hiding. No. David was that young. Was that young. He said, you're going to let that giant say what about the living God? You're going to let him say what? He's like, I'll go right now. Taught as a young child how to live for the Lord. That's our responsibility as parents, as husband, as wife. I'm kind of blending a Father's Day and a Mother's Day message together. But as God would live your, would teach you how to live that life and, and be a godly example. Like I said, God's always going to have an example, a witness, a testimony, a memorial for what should be. Now, again, the world is so undervalued what a mother should be that they've, they've got you set up to be a Mother's Day that's observed this day. But it's more of a commercialization than caring about your honor. They care more about commercializing and selling more cards and flowers and chocolates on this day than they care about the other 364 days out of the year that you never see them, that you never say anything to them, you never pray for them. <coughs> you don't want to undervalue them. You look at God's creation and your testimony should be, it's marvelous in our sight. It's marvelous in our sight. <coughs> now, as the Lord has put this on my heart, not sure exactly where to start, and we've already, my goodness. There's so many examples in the Bible of a godly woman and of an ungodly woman. There's so many examples. Now, as I was studying that and seeing what God would have, he picked one of the worst to start this sermon with. Mary Magdalene had seven demons on her. Seven demons on her had possessed her. Has had her so bound down to where that, if you've, anyone have seen that first episode of The Chosen, and because they started with Mary Magdalene, and, and, and to see that everybody was scared of her. She was so demonically possessed, everybody was scared of her. See, God would take someone like that and so clean their life up, so deliver them and set them free, that now she is always at the feet of Jesus. Always. If you go back in, there's certain history books, I can't remember... I'm not sure if it was in Josephus' writings or whose it was, but they said about her that you could not get her away from Jesus. You could not get her away. That she would get between him and the disciples. If she thought he was was taking up too much of his time, she'd get in between them. She loved him. She sold out lock, stock, and barrel to be with him. A life so changed. Had been, had been so surrendered to Satan that she possessed seven demons. But now she is sold out, prioritizing the Lord and the King of Kings. 
And it's no coincidence that he let her be there at the resurrection. Not a coincidence. Because God has a bride. God has a, God wants a godly wife. You understand that? That he wants a godly wife? His bride has made herself ready. He's prepared for himself a bride without spot, blemish, wrinkle, or any such thing. He wants a godly wife. We've said that so many times when he looked at Adam and said that it's not good for man to be alone. The reason why that he knew that attribute, that, that sorrow, that hurt in, that loneliness in Adam because he had felt that. He had felt that loneliness. See, he was called Elohim. That's all you could call him. You couldn't, he wasn't even called God yet. The word God in the English language only means object of worship. That's what it means. The word Elohim, the Hebrew word Elohim means self-existing one. But even in that title is loneliness. Even in that title is, is sadness and loneliness that he self-existent. But what God has done in our lifetime, in our creation, is that he can't be called that anymore. You realize that? He can't be called that anymore. He's not alone anymore. Let that sink in this morning. He is not alone anymore. He has prepared for himself a wife without spot, blemish, wrinkle, or any such thing. That's you. That's you, to be the wife of Christ. Every, every spiritual type, you'll find a natural type. And, and you think about in, in Mary's of Magdalene, her, 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 her natural life had been so in such a wreck. And it's very possible, Brother Branham had taught us that it's very possible that her, like Rahab, maybe her parents had died, maybe they were poor. Maybe she was forced into that life because it was that or starved to death. And being in that life and being in that realm and being around those demons, they start to latch hold of her. And they start to get grip on her because of things that she was doing. He said the same thing about Rahab the harlot. He said, yes, she was a harlot. But when he redeemed her, she was no longer a harlot. No longer a harlot. Uh, I love so much so that, that when you have what Achan had done and Achan had stolen that Babylonian wedge and that Babylonian changed the garments and that wedge of gold and he had hid it. And then he very possibly took it out of Rahab's house. Rahab walked away from it. She forsook it. You can have it. She said, I don't need no more of that. I don't need any more of that junk. And she walked away. And then all the children of Israel were told not to touch anything in there. You burn it all down. You destroy it all down. The only thing left standing would have probably been her house. Because God kept his word to her. And now he takes and he steals that from and hides it away. They take and God shows him what happened. They stone Achan. And they bury him over in the, um, in the valley of Achor. And they take stones and they pile up over his body. You read the scripture. They take stones and pile up over his body. Can you imagine Rahab walking by later? Can you imagine Rahab walking by later and saying, what's that pile of stones for? She said, I was supposed to be buried in a pile of stones. Everybody I knew in that town, they were killed. They were stoned. They were crushed. They were, they were taken away. That was supposed to be me, but God, rich in mercy, made a way. But the God who was abundant in grace and salvation saved me. What about these? He wanted what you had. Achan wanted what you had and what you forsook and what you give up. He turned back. And Achan cost him and his family his life. 
But the prophet told her, he said, very probably that she was raised in that way in, in poverty. That's what she had to do. But Mary, in the same vein, might have been that such a way. But God comes along and God takes her and cleans her up. So you, you see redemption to how to become a godly wife. You're not going to be born in this flesh and have never told a lie, never made a mistake. I, I've heard of people, other sisters that I know that, that will testify that they were good girls, never had a spank in their whole life. I don't know what that's like. I, I missed 99% of the ones I, I got, I should have got. So I don't, I don't understand that. But there are those who they never give their parents any trouble whatsoever. Might have been the most perfect child ever was, but without the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they're still a sinner. But without the baptism, without that new birth of the Holy Ghost, you're still just like us, born in this world, shaped in sin, speaking lies. That's the way we come. So even in that way, that you're still not good enough to be his wife. You're just not good enough to be his wife, not to be his wife. There's no blackness that stands in his presence. There's no darkness. There's no unbelief, no sin, no mistake that can stand in his presence because he's a redeemer. He'll clean your life up. Completely clean your life up. And so what he did to prove this to you as we sit here this morning, that he looks back upon a woman that was possessed, not oppressed, possessed by seven demons. Bad, 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 bad. And God stepped in and cleaned her life up so much that now we have an example, a testimony, that that woman would be a godly woman. A godly woman that will live for the Lord, that sold out everything of this world, and to be our example even all these years later, not just for the sisters, but for us as the bride of Christ, because many of us had all kinds of things we were messed up in, had all kinds of, uh, of things that hung us up and tripped us. He bruises for yours as well. Lay aside the, the sin that does so easily beset you. Lay aside that sin that does so easily beset you and let us run with patience the race that is set for us. That's you too. That's each one of us. Not one of us are perfect. But God in his mercy can clean your life up, my life up, to where that he would say, she's mine. Amen. See, the, again, the profoundity of such an act, we miss it. We miss it by miles. Oh, yeah, I'm redeemed. Yeah, I'm, I'm clean. I'm fit. I, oh, that's, you miss it. You're not screaming. If you, if you really got it, you'd be screaming. You'd be crying. Lord God, I, I can't believe you picked me. God, I can't believe that you would set me free. God, I can't believe you would die for me. I can't believe that you would set aside glory and take on a pest house and step into my place and take my sins to hell and put them on Satan. I can't believe it. You did it for me. He redeemed his wife. He made her a godly woman. And he has a process to do it. You have a justification. You have a sanctification. You have the baptism of fire. That even to the planet, that he had the same thing for the planet. See, one day this earth will pass away. Not that the foundations will be destroyed, but it will be burned off. It will be cleaned off to where there will be no more mark of sin to his satisfaction. Can you imagine his stringent specifications? Burned off to his satisfaction. So well, now that it's clean, because he has those same specifications for your life, that you would be so burned out to where that you're clean in his presence. Amen. So you had in Noah's day, you had the baptism of water. You had when the Lord Jesus died, that his blood spilled upon this planet. Water, blood, fire. Water, blood, fire. And then that fire will come after the Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation, and will burn it up to the point where that now the millennium can happen, and he can set down upon this earth. You understand? Everybody understands? All, all basics of being a Christian. 
He did the same thing to you. He justified you. He sanctified you. He filled you with the Holy Ghost. And John said, and the mighty fire. And the mighty fire. See, it's so easy to look back in, and in the day of, on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, and they've had children Bibles for years that shows them coming out of the upper room, you have the person there, and you had a little lick of fire drawn above their head. You realize in this room today, if you've had that new birth, if you've had that baptism of the Holy Ghost, there's a flame of fire above your head right now. Amen. What happens when you get them all together? Hallelujah. Talk about a burning bush experience. Talk about a flame of fire. It's no longer that small. Now it's a ball of fire. Ball of fire for the world to see. For the world to see. Turn over to the book of Esther with me, chapter 4. Do you love the Lord? Do you appreciate Him? What mercy, what grace that He has for His people? Esther chapter 4, verse 11. It's a very small book. Pages stick together. Esther chapter 4, verse 11. I'm going to read just a few verses here, then go to verse five, chapter 5. <coughs> Esther chapter 4, verse 11. All the king's servants... And the people, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I've not been called, this is Esther saying this, but I've not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days she's telling him that through messenger that he's not bid me to come for the last month he's not i've not gotten i've not gained audience with king ahasuerus for over a month and that's what she's telling that that i've not been gained these last 30 days and they told to mordecai esther's words then mordecai commanded to answer esther again through a messenger think not think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Look at the wisdom of Mordecai. God's going to deliver us. Right. You listen to the way God, God's going to deliver us. Whether he uses you or someone else. He's telling me, but if God don't use you, God will destroy you. All you got to do is let God use you. Well, it's when you're not letting God use you, you're letting someone else use you. There's only two powers at work. There's him and the other guy. And so many times he'll tell you, no, 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 you can just, you're not doing nothing. You're just sitting there. Everything's okay. You're not working for either side. You're just kind of in the middle. It don't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. He told her, and, and again, I, I find it <clears throat> so interesting. Interesting, was that the right word? How that, that our God is a gentleman. He is a gentleman. That you must invite him in. You must invite him into your heart. 
You must surrender yourself to him. And as he comes in, you've got to make more room. You've got to open more doors. You get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, now you're on the right path. Now you've got to open more doors. Lord, come to this part. Come to this part. The prophet taught us this, in door to the heart and doors in a door. Now, he's a gentleman. Satan is not. He's not a gentleman. He's a liar, a thief, a perverted con man. God is a gentleman. But God is the only thing that's real. He is life itself. He is life itself. Outside of him, there's no life whatsoever. He's the only thing that's true. He's the only thing that's good. He's the only thing that's pure and honest and holy. He is the only thing. It's him or Satan. Satan is only death. Satan is only eternal separation. Satan is only misery and darkness and despair and discouragement and hatred and malice and all. That's all Satan is. And then when it's done, you're done. You're done. Satan will tell you, you're fine. You know, and it's interesting because I know people that are literally waiting for their deathbed experience. Last few minutes, I just, I'll do what I want. You know, especially a young person. A young person like, I'm healthy, everything's going good, I got a good job, going to good school, I don't really need God right now, I'm going to do what I want to do. You have no promise of tomorrow. You, my, my youngest, you have no promise of tomorrow. You have no promise that the last hour of your life will not be in a coma. You have no promise. Surrender now. Give all your heart to him right now. Don't let your heart beat again without God saying, take control. Don't wait. He is standing here knocking at the door of your heart right now. Don't wait. Don't wait. Fling it wide and say, God, have your way. Have your way. Let me die out. Let you take control, Lord. I don't want to live that way no more. I don't want to go into the second without you. Satan is not a gentleman. Satan has got hooks. Satan has got claws. Satan has got teeth. That he tries to get you. Any little thing he's trying to get you. He'll kick your door in. Lord Jesus will not. The Lord Jesus will stand there. Just like, that's, a, that's, a, that's a depiction of Revelation chapter 3. Behold I stand at the door and knock. He'll stand there as a gentleman and wait. And again he's the only thing that is life. There's no life outside of him. But Satan will kick the door in. He'll crawl through a window. He'll termite rot out your floor joists. Crawl in through there. Anything he can to get to you and throw some kind of snare on you. Anything he can to put a hook in you. Anything he can. Anything he can. He's not a gentleman. Our Lord Jesus is. Surrender your life to him. Hold nothing back from him. He told, him in verse, told her in verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall enlarge, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who cometh, who knoweth whether thou art such to come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? This is you this morning. I tell you this all the time. It's no coincidence the day you were born. It's no coincidence where God has you right now. Most of us in this room were not born in Kansas. Most of us in this room were not born in Kansas. God moved us here from somewhere. 
God moved us here for a reason. God let your birth date be the day it happened. He let your birth date and your birth date be the day it happened to where that you would be alive right now. The total wrapping up of all the ages, the consummation of all the time, everything being wrapped up right before the tribulation and the translation of the church, of his bride. Church doesn't mean church house. Church means called out. The people that's called out. The people that's called by his name. You've been raised for such a time as this. Then Esther, verse 15, bade them return to Mordecai this answer. This answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. I shared that with you on Wednesday night. That testimony Brother Ram told about going before that Lutheran college, that before that, 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 he, that, that dean of that Lutheran college had wrote Brother Ram a letter, I think it's 21, 28-page letter, just tearing Brother Ram apart, tearing him apart. You're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. And, and all these things, he's never, he never one time called me brother. Not one time did he say brother. It's just Branham, Branham, William, something like that. And he said, I wrote back a letter, a page or two, and said, brother, he said, I apologize. He said, maybe something was misunderstood. He said, please forgive me. He said, I know you didn't mean what you said, so I pray that God will forgive you. And then, so he's later on preaching there in Chicago, and they send a letter over to him, will you come over to the college? And he says, well, I'm really about to get tore up now because they won't do it in person. He said, I go over there with Jack Moore and told him, he said, I'm not very smart. He said, Jack Moore is a theologian. If you ask big questions, you can ask him because he's smarter than me. And that, that dean start, stepped up to him, and he said, Brother Branham, he said, and all these people right here before us, he said, I want to publicly ask you to forgive me. In front of all these people, I was wrong. I misunderstood. I didn't know what God was doing. I was wrong. And Brother Branham said, I've already forgiven you. He said, I believe that, but I wanted to ask you again. Brother Branham makes a statement in that letter. He makes a statement in that letter. He says, I believe that because I forgive you, God forgive you also. Because I forgive you, God forgive you. You see it? Do you see it? I forgive you and set you free. I forgive you and he'll let you go. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. And so he told him, and he starts that explanation. He said, we just don't understand. He said, we're Lutheran. We've always been Lutheran. He said, when the Pentecostal movement happened, we went out to look to see what God was doing in there. We did not understand. We see people kicking the windows out. They're frothing in the mouth. They're running pews. They're falling out everywhere. He said, what in the world makes those people act like that? He said, the Holy Ghost. And they said, the Holy Ghost will make you act like that? He said, he can. He can. He said, well, then what do we have? He said, you have the Holy Ghost in a seed form back in Luther's day. So they asked him, how do we get like they got? Just like the upper room. 120 come out of the room like drunk men. 3,000 people were standing there and said, I want that. Not to look like they're drunk, not to look like they're crazy, not to be a show, not to be emotional, not to be any of that nonsense, but they wanted to have their lives changed. Because if someone will be really honest with you, they'll tell you, my heart's not quite right. It's not quite right. There's something I've been hiding away. I've been holding back. If they be honest with you. And they see something that's real. When they see something that's real, they say, I want that. So he said, 
Brother Brown, what do we do to get that? And Brother Brown, again, I told you Wednesday night, made that statement. You know what I told him. He said, you sit down on your knees and you put your face against that wall and you tell the Lord Jesus, you tell him, I will not get up from this spot until you fill me with the Holy Ghost. That if you have to find my dead corpse here in days from now, you're going to find me here because I will not leave until you give me the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. I'm going in. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. That if you'll turn over to chapter 5, just that, keep going over. It came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel. Now, I believe with all my heart that this book, not just this, this, this part of it, but the entire book was written by God himself. I understand 66 of our brothers, 66 prophets, uh, uh, 40 brothers, 66 books went through and God used them to write it down. But I believe that it's God that inspired it for them to write it. I believe every word of this book has been given by inspiration of God. That's what I believe. If you think I'm silly, then that's just the way it is. But I believe that every book will tie together. Every single one, backwards and forwards. Now, we've been covering the part about a godly wife, a godly woman, and a heavenly wife. You understand that at Calvary, that God separated you from his side. That when they stabbed him in the side, that he pulled you out at that side. But yet, you still had to be redeemed, and all your sins that he had on his back took to hell. So even though you're separated and you're now brought into view, that you've still got all the mark of this world that's got to come off of you. So he had to complete his task. So on the third day, he had to arise to prove that he is the captain of our salvation, the mighty conqueror, Lord of lords, king of kings, possessor of the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and creator of all there is. On the third day, Esther has made this statement. You tell Mordecai, all of you pray and fast. Me and my maidens, we're all going to pray and fast. We're going to hide away the next three days. We're going to spend that time in prayer. We're going to hide away. They hid his body in the earth for three days. But on the third day, on the third day, it come to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel. Come on now. Put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house, over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house, over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. She got her petition. She got her request met. She got through. Then said the king unto her. Then said the king unto her. What wilt thou, Queen Esther? What is thy request? It shall be even given thee to the half of the kingdom. Even given thee to the half of the kingdom. Now, our husband, who is our maker, who is our Lord Jesus Christ... Uh, he's not like King Ahasuerus. He doesn't just have that area there. He owns everything. Amen. Everything. 
further than the eye can see. Further. He told Abraham that, you know, as far as you can see that way, all the clouds, all the, all, the, all the stars, all the sands upon the seashore. And he's talking about it because I would imagine that Abraham, if he would have started talking about galaxies and other, other planets out there, Abraham would have been like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen that. I've got to take your word for it. But we have, in our day, have had telescopes and things that be able to look far off and to see other suns and other planets and all those things. You've got a much clearer view now than what Abraham would have had. So when he said that even half of the kingdom is given unto thee, you know that the one doing this isn't running overdraft in his check account. He's not bouncing checks. He's, he's not struggling to get by. He owns everything. Amen. He owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the golden potatoes under it. He owns it all. Amen. And he said, I give it to thee. You know why? He can trust you. I said that earlier that we trust him because we love him. When you've been, like Malachi said, been raised up as calves in the stall, when you've been adopted, when your life is now expressing the attribute of Christ, you're no longer as a babe in Christ. You're no longer crawling. You're no longer uh, desiring to sense your milk. You are feasting on heavenly manna, the meat of the word, and you are standing fully on your feet, Fully expressed as the wife of God, and he trusts you. The prophet was saying, that in, uh, it's in the church age book. I can't remember exactly which age it was. He said that she has his potential, the bride. She has his potential. You must, okay, I'm not sure this thing's on or not. She has his potential. I'm not talking about a normal man. I'm not talking about a wealthy man. I'm talking about the one that said, let there be. Must not have really set in. He said, let there be. And creation spawned galaxies and galaxies and galaxies. We only see this one. There's so many more that he built. She has his potential. Woo! She has his potential. She knows his word and she knows what he wants done with it. Oh, my goodness. He trusts you. My goodness, what a mighty God. He trusts you, and he knows he can because he loves you. Oh, you love him this morning? What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. If you look back in there to Eve, we we started talking about that earlier, that what she accepted, she actually accepted death over life. That was her choice, was to accept death over life. It was not an apple. It was a fleshly desire. It was that lust of the flesh. And she accepted death over life. Now, each one of us come to this world, speak in lies, shaped in iniquity, and you have the reproductive system you have, and each one will bear a child through the manner that we have. It was not meant to be that way. It was meant to be spoken word. Spoken word, just like Adam, spoken word. That's the way it was meant to be. But God knew what would happen, so God made a way. It wasn't Eve, just all of a sudden she backslids, and now she has ovaries. No, God knew what she needed. He knew what would happen. You realize that he wasn't caught off guard when she made that mistake. He wasn't up there like, what's going to happen? What's going to No, he knew what she was going to do. And again, he's a gentleman. He said, I told him what not to do. I told him what not to do. You don't have no partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You don't touch it. You stay away from it. Don't touch it. 
And she walks up and she partakes of that flesh. That, 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 the serpent was probably a really good looking guy. He was probably a really good looking guy. He was muscled, had the best skin, the best hair. All those things might have been very charismatic. Know how to talk to her. Brother Ram tells a story. And if you didn't know the testimony before, you wouldn't know a statement he makes. He makes a statement, and I can't remember exactly which message it was. He said about a woman looking for a mate and a husband. He makes a statement, I don't care what his feet look like. If you've ever heard that. So in that sermon, he doesn't explain what he means. He tells in a sermon before that, and I remember how far it is, that a young sister had come to him, talking about this boy, and he's out in the world. He was not a Christian, but he's cute and all these things. And he says, sister, a believer should only marry a believer. You should only be seeking for a believer. And she tells him, but Brother Branham, look how cute his feet are. That's what she told him. Look how cute his feet are. And so in the other mountain, he said, I don't care what his feet look like. He said, he might be as nasty and ugly as can be, but if he's a godly man that's got the Holy Ghost, that'll be a good man and love you, he said, that's who it should be, no matter what he looks like. Again, back then, you had probably the best-looking guy that ever lived. Most muscles, the best physique, the best speaking. He did everything right, just like your romantic movies would. Did everything right. Flowers on the first date, second date, third date, all, all did everything right. But he wasn't godly. But she fell to that allure. And in that shininess of the world, she chose death over life. Before Adam could ever come to her, before Adam could ever know her as her husband, he couldn't trust her. The fruit of it was true. But she chose death over life. Proverbs chapter 30 we have musicians come and we'll draw to a close. It's Proverbs chapter 30, verse 18. He says, there be three things. There be three things which are too wonderful for me. Yea, four which I know not. The way of an eagle in the air. The way of a serpent upon a rock. The way of a ship in the midst of a sea. The way of a man with a maid. Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I've done no wickedness. For three things the earth is disquieted and for four which it cannot bear. Let's stand on our feet this morning. This scripture is talking about what Eve did. Eve ate of the fruit of the flesh. She ate of that fruit and become an ungodly woman. Each one of us here, we've made mistakes. I've covered that plenty of times that not one of us are perfect. Not one of us in this room are perfect. Every one of us has made a mistake one way or the other. At the very least, just by the way you were born, because you were born wrong. But we serve a God who's a redeemer. A God who is so rich in mercy. A God is so kind that he chose not to leave us this way. That he would take you and clean you up so thoroughly and so cleanly. Not just grabbing you and pulling you out of the pit. Not just, that's a justification. Not just pulling you out of the pit. But that he would turn around and he would clean your life up through sanctification. Clean your life up to where that now he can step in. Baptism of the Holy Ghost. And now you're being used and you're fit for the Lord's command. A heavenly wife. That he can trust that would do his will upon this world. Don't you love his mercy? What, a, what amazing grace God has for his people. I, am, I, I, I feel like most times I'm the worst sinner there ever was. Just as bad as bad can be. 
but God chose me. God redeemed me. I'm not what I used to be. I'm no longer those things. I was once those things, but I'm no longer. It's not by anything I did. It's by His mercy. It's by God rich in mercy who chose to change my life. I give Him praise this morning. Lord, I want to say how much I appreciate you. Lord, for saving a wretch like me, for changing my life, Lord, you didn't have to do that. You could have let me be. I would have went right on to hell, Lord, where I deserved. But I thank you, Lord, for being rich in mercy. I thank you, Lord, for your kindness and for loving me that you wouldn't let me stay that way. Lord, as each one of us stand here this morning, Lord, we stand here, the purchased possession of your very blood. Lord, what grace, what love that you've bestowed upon us. Lord, let us live our lives from this time forward, surrendering ourselves, Lord, to you day by day as a wife would to her husband, Lord. Let us walk this world, Lord, not alone, but you in us. We adore you. We love you. Lord, help us as we walk this road. There's so many snares set up. There's so many traps of the enemy. There's so many arrows that fly by night and by day. But Lord, thou art a shield unto me. Help us keep our hearts and our lives and our families hid away, Lord, in that protection, in that life of Christ, Lord, in, in, that, in that holy of holies with you, Lord Jesus. Help each one of us, Lord, to draw near with every breath, with every beat of our heart. Lord, we want more. Lord, we stand here today, the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though we have that revelation of who we are, yet we aren't living as close as we should. We're not living as dedicated, as consecrated of all of our time to you, Lord, as we should. Lord, I thank you for your mercy for not throwing us away. Not kicking us out, Lord, but, but you give us an opportunity to forsake more of this world and to walk closer with you. Or we only want your desire in us. As you've taken away that spiritual amnesia, you've revealed to us who we are in you. That I didn't just come into existence on August the 26th, 1980, but before the foundation of the world, I was in your mind. That you had predestinated, foreknown, elected, and called, and chosen me to be a part of your wife. Lord, I love you for that. Lord, I thank you, Father, for, for all the, 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 the truth that you brought available before our very eyes. Lord, let us feast on your word. Let us take your word and eat it and let it become us. Lord, we become the word as your word moves through us. We open all of our doors, every part of us, to your will and to your way. And we say yet again, Lord, have thine way in us. Bless our brothers and sisters here this morning. We surrender all that we are to you. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. Oh, Lord, I give you my heart. Oh, I give you my soul. Oh, Lord, I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away. Oh, Lord.
us now. Lord, it is such a, a wonder, an amazing thing to know of the creator of heavens and earth. Lord, we don't bring our requests or our petition before a doctor, before a surgeon, or even a specialist in any medical field. We go back to the very creator of every body, Lord. Every cell, every fabric of, of our skin and molecule, Lord. We lift this sister up to you right now, Lord. You're the one that created her kidneys. You created that body. We see that Satan is designed to kill that body to make her sick. That's what the army of Satan does. But Lord, your army is here to bind our faith together for her and pray that by your stripes that she is healed, Lord. Or we are expecting a total miracle healing because we're talking to the, the giver of miracles, Lord. We appreciate you that you'd be so willing to undertake for this dear sister. And I pray you'd make her completely whole from this very hour forward, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you put this burden on Michelle's heart for us. I pray, Lord, that you would lay your nail-scarred hands on Susie's body right now and that she might know that you've come by her way and you've made a change where no medicine, no doctor or specialist could ever do, Lord, that the Creator has touched those kidneys and he has healed her so completely, Lord. And I pray, Father, that it puts her into such a mind frame and such a heart that be so desperately crying out, I want to know that, God. I want to surrender my life, Lord. I want you, Lord. I, I pray you would baptize her with your Holy Ghost, Lord. And from this moment forward, she'd be a sold-out believer and Christian walking in this world. Believe in your current and present truth, Lord. Oh, set her life on fire with your Holy Ghost. Minister for that need. We appreciate your mercy. Satan, on the authority of the most holy and mighty word, we come against you and we order you through the power and authority given to us by this word, this key, your God, and says, get your hands off. You're defeated. We rebuke you. You are an offense to the Holy Ghost. The word says that he has sent it and healed all of her disease. And we believe that for her and with her in your face, Satan. So you take your lying vanity and go on back to hell where you come from. You're done. You're done. Lord, touch that sister. Help her, Lord Jesus. Lord, we are so excited to hear the testimony to come back of another person believing that you are God. We trust you this morning. We love you in your holy name. Jesus, Amen. you are. Amen. Amen. Jesus, you are. Lord, I pray you touch here. You are my comfort when I'm lonely. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the peace in times of trouble.
Do 